Hello there, and welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, Digital Citizenship and Internet Safety for Youth, presented by Lisa Hoopis and Hannah Woodhouse. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Please fill out the survey in the description down below for your chance to win a $100 gift card. Thank you. everyone and welcome to our fall series focusing on youth mental health and trauma and the unique role that parents, educators, and community plays in fostering resilience in youth. This series is brought to you by Rhode Island Student Assistance Services in partnership with Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Katie Hamill, a Student Assistance Counselor at Rhode Island Student Assistance Services, and I thank you for joining this learning experience on internet safety, learning about digital citizenship and the different ways for youth to engage safely online. Located below this video, you will see a description box with links to our website and Facebook page, where we will let you know when more content like this will be released. In addition, don't forget to complete the post survey so we can get your input on future topics for future webinars. We use the feedback you gave us in the spring to develop topics for the fall series. By completing the survey, you will have the ability to receive contact hours and a chance to win a $100 gift card. We are extremely fortunate to bring you Lisa Lupus and Hannah Woodhouse from Sojourner House. Lisa Hoopis, Director of Education and Training, she, her. Lisa joined Sojourner House in 2019. She has over 20 years experience and has developed and facilitated hundreds of trainings and workshops to a variety of audiences nationwide. She is a graduate of Rhode Island College, where she is an adjunct faculty for the Health and Physical Education Department and was a former director of the Rick Women's Center. She worked closely with school districts and agencies to provide professional and youth development training, consultation, curriculum development, and assistance, setting up peer education and advocacy programs. She is a co-founder and an active member in the Rhode Island HIV STI Prevention Coalition, an active member of the Rhode Island Cross Campus Collaborative to Prevent Sexual Assault on Campus. She is also a certified curriculum developer and trainer for the Rhode Island Police Academy and is a co-chair of the Rhode Island Crime Victim Service Provider and co-chair of Providence Health and Wellness Healthy Relationships Subcommittees. She specializes in inclusive, comprehensive sexuality education and interpersonal violence prevention. Hannah Woodhouse is the education coordinator. She's an educator with years of experience in the field of violence prevention, social justice, sexual education, and gender equity. Though she works with people of all ages, she is especially passionate about talking about these issues with young people and empowering the next generation of leaders through conversation, collaboration, peer education and advocacy. She hopes to build empathy and compassion throughout education. And so Journer House offers the perfect platform to achieve that goal. Thank you again for your interest in this timely topic. And now I am pleased to turn it over to Lisa and Hannah. Hello everyone and welcome to our internet safety training hosted by Rhode Island Student Assistance Services and Sojourner House. My name is Hannah Woodhouse. I use she and her pronouns and I am our education coordinator. And hi everybody, my name is Lisa Hoopis. I am the Director of Education and Training and we're so excited to have you here today. So we're going to start today by looking at defining digital citizenship. We'll look at where young people are online 
and also what young people use the internet for. And then we'll move into identifying ways to engage safely online. And Hannah's gonna go over some different apps that young people are, are on. And we'll talk about some things to look for when using those applications. And then finally, we're gonna talk about identifying safe sites for young people to explore. So our time together, we're not telling people not to go online, but rather how to explore online safely. So let's start by talking about what we use the internet for. And as we were preparing for this, I was I was saying to Hannah, you know, our internet is now on our cell phones. Some of us have it on our wrists, on our watch. There, There's lots of different ways that we can access the internet and it's really very easy to do so nowadays. So we're using it professionally. I know, you know, we might use it to look something up if we're not sure of something, we wanna research, we wanna find out more. Some of us, lots of us have been taking education classes and school has been online over the over the past couple of years. And we're purchasing different things, buying different things on online stores, the ease of just having something delivered directly to our house. So we're using the internet a lot more for even just basic things that we might need, like groceries or different products that, that we might need really quickly. We're also using it to communicate and connect again, especially during this pandemic, we've been separated from people a lot. And so we've been using it to keep in touch with folks, to update folks on what's happening. We might be using it to get news on what's happening either locally or nationally, especially when we think about what's happening with the pandemic. We might be keeping track of trends and things like that. We also use it to communicate directly with somebody. So if I want to get in touch with Hannah or if I want to get in touch with somebody, I have lots of different ways to do that now, right? I can email, I can call, I can text. So the instant access to people. And then Finally, video chatting, right? I can remember when I was growing up, that was such a thing of the future. Like the idea of being able to see somebody while you're talking to them was so unique and so futuristic, but that time is here. And so now not only are you talking to somebody, but a lot of times you're talking to them and able to see inside their house or see inside their space. So the way that we've communicated has gotten a lot more intimate over the past decade. And then also the way that we express ourselves, right? So we express ourselves to the world, how we want other people to see us. So when we're using things like social media, people are using their best pictures. We are able to tell our story through things like blogs, personal websites, sharing things that, you know, we may, may have been more personal, may have been, you know, kept in a notebook. Now we're able to share with, with more folks. Um, and so, you know, when you search somebody, the things that pop up now are a lot more than just basic information. A lot of times you can find things that somebody has written, things, uh, you know, find out things about people's jobs based off of social media posts. So, you know, LinkedIn is one that I know sometimes people use to see, you know, where has this person worked? What are the things that somebody's interested in? And then we have photographs, right? Photographs tell us a lot. Sometimes it's full disclosure. We know exactly where the person is. And then other times it might not be a, a full disclosure, but there's a lot of things that are within a picture and within a photograph that can tell us a lot of identifying things about somebody. So as we're talking about internet safety, photographs are going to be one of the areas where, again, a lot of times I think people don't, might not realize what they're posting can, can give a lot of information about them. So if I'm working with a student and they have a sweatshirt on or they're a part of a team and it has a team name on it, I can tell what school they're at. I can probably tell what their game schedule is, where they're gonna be at a certain time. So there's a lot of information that gets disclosed even in just a, a simple photograph that somebody might might post. If we're tagging you know, ourselves in certain pictures or 
you know, telling people where we're at by putting a dot on their screen or like I said, tagging that location. Again, it can uh, give us a lot of information. Somebody might be able to, to use that information to find the person. And then finally, not only are we using it to, you know, communicate and to express ourselves, but we're also watching TV on the internet. We're using media, we're watching movies, we're, you know, using Netflix and those kinds of things as well. So between the gaming and the apps and the TV, Hannah's going to talk to you in a minute about just how much young people are using it. But what we do know is that they're using the internet for a lot more things and they're spending a lot more time on it. So when we think about youth in particular, and it's not just specific to youth, I think one thing we've learned in the past year is that we, in this age, truly need the internet for many, many things, right? It's no longer a luxury. It's really a, a necessity for many people's work and, and livelihoods. So when we think about youth and how accessible the internet is, we found this stat here between the ages of 8 and 28, they spend up to 45 hours online. So if you think about that, right, I work 40 hours a week. That's basically like a full work week and they're spending it all online. And like Lisa said, that's not just computer to computer connection. That's a handheld device like a phone that might be an Xbox or a PlayStation. So all of these different applications that students in particular are using. Looking at kind of this graph here, thinking about the way that folks use the Internet, youth in particular, in terms of frequency, in the past couple of years, the most recent data from Pew is 2018. So again, if we were to collect this data now, I'm sure it has increased in the past year. But looking at that, almost constantly jumped up by double, right? So 20%. So they were almost constantly on their devices in 2014. And then four years later, almost half of them are almost constantly on those devices. So thinking about the frequency as well as kind of the different ways that people use the internet, youth in particular. And of course, one of the main questions we get from both educators and parents, um, what apps are they using? Um, I myself am not a parent, but Lisa is, and I know we have conversations about what different apps students are using and how we don't understand a lot of them. And uh, students, especially young kids, um, they adapt to these different apps and systems a lot quicker than adults because of how they grew up. Our youth today grew up knowing no world other than a world that's very connected. So thinking about the different ways that they connect. Some of these apps might look familiar to you who are viewing this. Um, some of them may be very foreign to you. I'm not going to go into excessive detail into each app, but I will talk through them. And I've also included some resources that will be shared out with this webinar as well. So the three on the left of the screen are probably the ones that folks are most familiar with. If you are an educator or a parent or anyone who works with youth in 2021, you have heard of TikTok, right? So that's the top left application. This is an app that essentially delivers quick videos, information to people who use it in kind of rapid succession. So they can scroll. I know I have cousins, people in my family who are younger than me that spend hours and hours um, just kind of scrolling through, right? So there's many different types of accounts on there. There are some that talk about health and, and promote different healthy methods. And then there, of course, are some that are not. So when we think about TikTok, it's important to be mindful of how youth are using that application and what information is on there, which we will discuss a little more when we talk about digital citizenship. Instagram is essentially the same, um, but there's also still photographs on there. This is, as of this year, these are the two top most popular apps across the board. So not just with youth, but with adults as well. 
And then, of course, you have Snapchat, which is the ghost on the bottom left. And the danger with these two apps for some folks is that it can produce kind of an instant gratification, right? So if I send a Snapchat to Lisa of me doing this webinar and she views it, it goes away in, in 10 seconds, right? So she gets to see it it goes away. So students might be a little bit impulsive, right, with um, an application like that. Same thing with Instagram. I know a lot of the youth that I work with are obsessed with the amount of likes they receive on a photograph, right? So that might compel them to post more frequently and possibly more dangerous images on there in order to increase the amount of likes they receive. YouTube on the bottom, right, the little square with the triangle in it, right? Of course, again, if you work with any youth in 2021, you know what YouTube is. It's been around for almost 20 years now. So certainly this is something that students are using. Oftentimes, um, it can be very helpful with YouTube, right? You can look up sort of anything you want to learn about or talk about and view a video on it. Also, like Lisa said, we use the internet to consume media. So there might be a music video on there, right? Or a TV show. And a lot of students like to watch different kind of content creators, right? Who talk about different things. So they do have YouTube kids as well. So um, that's something if you're a parent or an educator, if you're interested in offering YouTube kids or only allowing your, your kids to use that, um, that is something they offer. However, there are ways for hackers or people who are misusing the internet to get into YouTube kids and post content that is not appropriate. So certainly we'll talk about how to have those discussions with your students or your kids um, if they come up. A couple of these on the top, just quickly to talk about them. These are ones that I personally have never used and I only know about through work, my work with youth. Um, that's called Amino. To the right of it is called Avakin Life. And to the right of that one, the little ghost face, um, that is Discord. So these three applications are sort of live um, content creation. So Amino, you create an avatar that can look like you or not. And essentially, you can connect with anyone in the world using that avatar, right? So for older generations that maybe have used like Second Life is kind of the one that always comes to my mind for people who grew up in like the 90s. It's kind of similar to that, right? So something where folks can connect one-on-one. -on -one. But also, it's sort of anonymous because it's this little avatar that isn't really you. Maybe it has a fake name. And so someone who is predatory or using the internet in a way that is not good, um, might use that to their advantage. Avakin Life and Discord are both essentially messaging apps where people can connect based on a common interest. So if Lisa and I both like the same band, maybe we're huge fans of the same type of music, we might create a server on Avakin Life or Discord. It's called a server, like a chat room. And we can kind of talk back and forth with other people who also like that band. So someone might create something related to their school. So if we both attend the same uh, middle school, maybe we have a server, right? And we can talk back and forth. Um, so it's really based on common interests. Roblox and Fortnite are the two beneath that. These are gaming apps, right? But they do have a social aspect to them. So I've heard students say they've heard really negative language cyberbullying on Roblox and Fortnite because there is a social aspect when it's connected to the internet. So they can play Fortnite with someone in China or Russia or Oregon or whatever, um, someone across the world that they've never met, as same with Roblox as well, which of course, without proper education can be 
upsetting and dangerous if they run into someone who is not being kind. And then the last two on the bottom, the W is called Wattpad. Um, this is a blogging site. The reason I have this one up here, this is again, something that goes in and out of fashion with youth. But this is essentially a site where youth can post anonymous blog posts about whatever's going on in their day. If there is someone who is predatory online, who is reading those blog posts, they might use it as sort of an in to talk to that child, right? So if I'm posting about the horrible day I had and I'm a 14-year-old, someone could reach out to me and say, hey, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Do you want to go over to this app and talk about it? And maybe we visit an, an encrypted app where now it's much more dangerous for me as the youth, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit. And then lastly, um, the bottom right is House Party. This is a live streaming app, much like TikTok, where I can jump into a chat room and talk face-to-face -face with anybody in the world. And it's ran sometimes randomized, so I could talk to someone that I have no idea who they are, right? And that can be an obvious problem for some of our youth. So I know I went through those really fast. I will include a resource so that you can read through more closely, but we also will include Common Sense Media at the end if you have further questions. Thanks. Yeah. So we're not trying to tell folks not to go on the computer, but rather thinking about how we can teach young people to go on the computer and be safe. So that's really the theme of today's session. So when we talk about digital citizenship, we're talking about going online responsibly, being informed about how to look at and interpret media and also how to use the technology in a safe kind of way. It is part of the real world. We're not telling you, and, and certainly the young people that are in your lives would not want to be disconnected from the internet, right? So we know that it's a big part of their lives. And so when we can talk to them about how to practice safety and some different things to, to do, then it's going to make it safer for them and it's going to make us feel a little bit better about them using that as a tool. So one of the things we want to talk to them about is privacy and security. So things like passwords, so not sharing your passwords, not posting passwords, not letting other people know where passwords are kept, blocking certain applications, certain websites, certain things that you don't want young people to see. I know if you're working in a school, this happens automatically, but if you're a parent watching this, there are ways that you can set different privacy screens up and allow different sites depending on whether or not um, what the age is and, and what you want to be shown as a parent. Uh, GPS is, uh, features is one that I used to see, especially when I worked at the college a lot. So a lot of times students are sharing their GPS or their location with their friends as a way of communicating. So like, hey, meet me here. In fact, I was, I was walking with somebody earlier today and we were on separate sides of the school and so I thought, you know, if I was a student, I would just share my location, right? And that's something that they do kind of, you know, without thinking about it. They don't think about that potentially being harmful. What can sometimes happen is, if, especially once somebody sets that sharing application on their phone, they sometimes forget about it. And so that's a way for, for people to be able to track you. Um, there's also things like Find My iPhone that can do these things. So again, when we think about how easy it is to find somebody in real time where, they at, where they're at, a lot of times the computers and stuff are making that a lot easier. So you can go into your phone, you can go into your computer and you can set those settings so that you're not allowing those those, those shared locations. And a lot of it is about decision making. Um, there are going to be apps that are going to ask you to use that and it's going to be a part of the application. So you really just have to make the decision for yourself on whether or not you think that the application is worth sharing that kind of information. And you can also sometimes do it temporarily. So you're only using sharing that information while you're using that application. The other thing I like to talk to students about is what they're posting, right? So really being mindful about the way they're communicating, what they're communicating about, and also 
you know, I know that they are able to post things anonymously, but we really do want them to be responsible for the things that they're posting. So this could look a couple of different ways. One is I like to tell people not to post something while they're doing it, right? So if I'm at a concert or I'm at a movie theater or I'm at a, a football game, instead of posting about it in the moment, like here I am so that somebody else can find them, instead post after they get out. So that movie was great. That concert was great. That game was great. That way they're the person, if somebody was looking for that person, they can't find them in real time. Other things, you know, again, just being careful about posting personal things on a site, social media sites like Facebook or some of these other ones that Hannah just mentioned, you can share who you're sharing information with. So some of it can only be shared with friends as opposed to sharing it with the whole wide world. So that's something to really think about is, you know, who are you sharing these things with? And even though it says it's anonymous, know that nothing that is on the internet is ever anonymous. There is always a way to go back, to track, to find out where it came from. And, you know, even when these things are so-called disappearing, you know, if somebody is screenshotting it with their cell phone, again, there's still ways of being able to capture that. So sometimes students get, you know, caught up in, well, you know, I'm going to share this picture and it's going to go away in 30 seconds. They're not going to be able to do anything with it. They're not thinking about other other ways that it might be able to be used. So again, you know, even though sometimes that's part of the glamour of these apps is that they're, you know, anonymous and that, you know, they go away right away and they're a little bit easier to maybe hide things that they don't want other people to see. That stuff never really gets hidden forever. And then again, when we're talking about consumption of media, internet is no different than if we're talking about TV or if we're talking about shows that somebody is watching. So we want them to be able to consume the media and then have conversations. So we, I talk about teachable moments, right? So some of the things that you might talk to them about are things that they might see on the internet, right? You know, pornography is one of the things that if a young person has access to the internet, chances are they're probably going to stumble across pornography at some point. They're going to get an advertisement sent to them. They're going to get something, you know, that is going to make their body change in some kind of way. So it's better to talk about that before they encounter it than wait until they encounter it. And they might be scared or embarrassed or ashamed of something that may be popped up without them even searching it. So again, having these conversations and telling them, here's a here's some of the things that we want to avoid on the internet and teaching them how to have or explore the internet in a safe kind of way. Also, we want to teach them what they're reading on the internet is not always fact. So just because it says it on the screen does not mean that it has been fact-checked or that it has a source. So teaching young people how to find reliable information. I like to encourage young people to go to places like .edu, .org, .gov, so .gov. Those are places that if you're going to, you can pretty much trust the information is coming from a reliable source. If it's coming from a .com, that's something that you want to question, right? Where is the validity of this coming from? And who, you know, who is putting this information out? What's the website that's putting this information out? Is there something to gain? Are they looking for you to buy something from them? Or are they looking to persuade you in some kind of way? So those are things that you want to think about as you're reading things and consuming things online. Again, you know, if you find something online, fact check it against something else. If you're not sure before you spread it, that's really important. And, you know, again, thinking about what you repost, right? So if you read something and, you know, it upsets you or if it gets you all riled up, again, fact checking it, maybe talking to a few different people before you just go resharing it and, and assuming that it's facts. So those are some great tips that we can share with young people as they're exploring through the internet so that, again, they feel more comfortable doing it safely. You feel more comfortable with them exploring and hopefully, again, it's, it's setting up a more safe safe situation for them. All right, Hannah, this is you. We're going to switch gears to talk about cyber safety now. Yeah, so it's a perfect lead-in. So we are going to talk a little bit about cyber safety. I know in the past couple of years, sort of one of our buzzwords in the field of education has been cyber stalking and cyber bullying. 
So we do want to mention this pretty in depth because it is something that students experience spending 45 hours a week, if not more online, right? There is kind of this possibility um, for cyber stalking or cyber bullying. It used to be before the age of the internet, right? We used to see bullying on school grounds, right? Physical bullying. But now when students leave school or they haven't gone to school at all because they're in virtual learning, right? There's kind of this whole other world where there is the possibility for harm. So when we think about cyber stalking in particular, it's when someone uses that electronic, any electronic means in order to stalk another individual. So they might use a forum or a discussion board, right? Some of those apps like Discord, direct messaging or DMs, right? So consistently sending messages, using a cell phone, any type of apps. So that could be any of the ones I discussed or the thousands and thousands of other apps that exist. This is especially salient for some of the apps that are what's known as encrypted, meaning that they aren't traced to an IP address, right? So if I'm using something like Kick, which is another really popular app and I'm communicating with Lisa, the idea behind an app like Kick and its encryption is that the minute our conversation ends, it goes away, right? So in some instances, of course, if there is a matter of, a, you know, like a police matter, maybe they can retrieve it, but Sometimes it really is encrypted and we can't kind of get to that conversation. Messaging services and location. Lisa mentioned the location services. I always advise students to only use location services while using an app, right? So like sometimes if you use Google Maps or Apple Maps or any other map tracking device and it stays on all the time, someone could hack into it, right? And see where you are at any given moment. Something like Snapchat, which is a very popular app with youth. There is a map feature where it has your little emoji or your little character in a car if you're driving and it, you know whoever's watching it can see that little car emoji driving to school or driving to soccer practice or driving to grandma's house and if someone's looking at that it's pretty easy to tell where that person is you know looking up how to turn that feature off on snapchat is important talking with kids about what location services look like and how they might be harmful because it is pretty easy using technology to learn a lot about someone very quickly and then also track their movements. So thinking about some of our information that is shared, um, that location information, right? What might be considered personal? Anything that can be used against someone, right? Anything that tells a quick story about someone or helps a stalker or a harasser to find them. So of course, you know, I grew up in the age when the internet was just becoming very popular, right? So I remember my parents, you know, talking about you never want to put our address online, right? You don't want to put your last name online. And none of that's really changed, but a lot of students are a lot more open <laughs> with that information now because it doesn't seem as dangerous as it did back then. So being mindful of that. Being mindful of the school that we go to, right? Again, Lisa mentioned if I'm sitting in a picture and I have on um, a sweatshirt with my school's name on it, then whoever's looking at that picture or watching my video will now know where I go to school. And that could be potentially harmful if it's the wrong person watching that video. Any identifiers, of course, um, we always tell students to use some sort of username that isn't their real name, right? So maybe it's a nickname or, you know, it's like Fluffy Kitty One or something like that. That's not actually their name. Giving away their birth date and, of course, identifiers like their social security. The next, like, the third bullet point here is a little bit difficult to talk to kids about because it's something that they don't often understand immediately. But, of course, one of the benefits of the Internet is getting to socialize um, with people that we are in clubs with or activities. 
soccer team, you know, school play, whatever, and we can communicate with those people. But if we share too many details of the interests and activities, right? Like if I play soccer with my team every Thursday at the Y in Seekonk, then they, you know, they know that that's where I am every Thursday, right? If I'm in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts and I put my troop number online, that's easily Googleable, right? Uh, they can look up where the troop is and then find me, right? So being mindful of those identifying information. And then personal blog or diary entries. Again, for some predators that are online, if I'm making a blog post about how much I hate my parents, a predator could reach out and say, you know, I think you're great. Sorry, you're having a rough day and use that as kind of an in to to build a rapport with me. So looking kind of right over into this. So predators, of course, when we think about cyber stalking, and a predator, of course, could be an older person, but with some cyber stalking, it could be a peer, right? It could be someone at my school. Um, a cyber bully might be someone that I know in real life. When we at Sojourner House work with victims of human trafficking, so sexual or labor trafficking, I've worked with youth who have been recruited online for trafficking, right? So it might be a direct message on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook. It might be a direct message that says, you know, you're really beautiful. Um, why don't you become a model, right? And who doesn't want to be flattered by someone they don't know, right? So thinking about those little things that they might see online. One of the big things we talk to youth about, and I'm sure anyone who's an educator or parent watching this um, has heard about is sexting, right? So sending partially nude or nude photographs to one another. Um, sometimes we will see other youth pressuring into sending those or older predators um, as well. So again, practicing that digital citizenship, talking to youth about why it's dangerous to share images like that online, especially for folks who are feeling pressured. The minute they receive that that text or that email or whatever it is, pressuring them into it, set, opening the door so they can talk about it and that we can prevent a situation from happening in the future. Everything that is posted online is online forever, as Lisa mentioned before. So it's really important to be mindful that if someone does share an image when they're 14 or 15 years old online, and later on they're trying to go to college or get a job, right? Those images have the potential to resurface in our world. And then of course, when we think about kind of the thing that people most jump to when they think about online security, a lot of people think of folks using the information to kind of spread rumors or to cause physical harm in some way. So that's this term doxing. So doxing is a term where Someone uses the other individual's personal information and shares it out with a group that they didn't consent to. So I am going to dox Lisa. An example might be I would learn her home address and I would post it on a message board and say, hey, here's Lisa's home address. Everyone go, you know, throw eggs at her house or whatever. And then folks might do it, right? So thinking about that's kind of scary how now that information's out there and Lisa didn't consent to it. She doesn't want that to happen. And now her personal address is out there. Yeah, I've even seen um, some of the young people, they might get offered that those roadblocks that we were talking about. Um, a lot of those apps, you need money or you need to have some like funds to be able to buy the skins or to buy the things. And so that, if that's the newer thing and your parents are like, hey, I'm not spending money for 
skins or I'm not spending money on Roblox or this digital stuff. And you have somebody online who's like, hey, you know, if you do this for me, I'll give you those Roblox or I'll give you that that thing. Um, and a lot of times they'll say like, well, you don't have to show me your face, right? Like if you just show me, if you just take a picture from your chest up. And so again, even though your face isn't on it, that's still, you know, you're still exchanging. So again, just letting young people know that those kinds of things exist and that they don't want to do those kinds of things, even if it's for Roblox. <laughs> All right. So then moving on to talking to kids about cyber safety, you know, again, part of it is, is having a conversation, right? So kids are going to be online. So asking them, you know, what do you like to do online? I, and maybe even keeping the computer someplace that you can see it or that you have eyes on it. Hannah knows that I used to have my son who was actually in the same office as me pre pandemic. We would share the same space. So he was online. I was sitting, you know, in the same space. I moved him during the pandemic because we were kind of talking over each other, but still I always try to make sure that I have an eye on what, what he's doing, right? What, what sites he's going on. If I can't, physically be there. I might go through the history to see, you know, is there a history? Is there a site maybe that he visited that I want to talk to him about? But just having an idea about, you know, what the young people are doing. Talking to them and asking them about what, what their favorite part of the site is or part of the game is. It like, so why do you like to go on Roblox? So why do you like to go on Fortnite? Is it more the socialization part? Is it more the gaming part? Especially when we're looking at social media, it's, it's important to find out what they're getting from that social media site and really, you know, engaging with them and asking them to show you what are some of the things that that they do online or some of the sites that you might not know. I know, again, for me, I do this all the time because it's part of my job. So I'll ask them like, hey, what are the new apps that are out? You know, especially when TikTok came out, I was like, can you show me how to make a TikTok video? Like, I have no idea how to do TikTok. Um, Hannah, my the school-based advocate, Beatrice, she does, they, they do great stuff like that. I had no idea. So, you know, using the young pers- young people to show you as the adults what they're doing and, and introduce you to their world of cyber, the cyber world. And then also just letting them know that like, you're there. So if something happens, if somebody does come to them, if somebody's trying to get something from them or, or they're feeling uncomfortable for whatever reason, just letting them know that you, they can come to you and that you'll help them with whatever that means. Maybe it's contacting them. It might just be letting an adult know that like, hey, this person reached out to me. Um, maybe somebody did reach out and ask you to do something sexual and it, and it is something that you think might be reported. Um, having the young person know that they can come to you and that you're not going to be mad at them. You're not going to ground them or take away their technology. That Those are some of the fears that young people tell us that they have when we say, have you talked to your parents about this? Um, And we've done sessions where young people have disclosed, in fact, most of the class has disclosed that these things are happening. And so when we talk to them about, you know, what are you telling the adults in your life? Again, depending on how comfortable they are with having these conversations is going to depend on whether or not they feel comfortable. So, um, you know, the more that you can make them feel comfortable and welcome those conversations so that if and when they do happen, they feel comfortable coming to you. That's going to be really, really important. And again, we don't want to use, you know, fear tactics. We don't want to, you know, tell them that they're never going to be able to use the Internet again or that it's this bad, awful thing because there's lots of really great things that they can find in the Internet. It's, you know, it keeps information up to date. I I was joking a couple weeks ago with Miss Hannah, we were going through old encyclopedias and I was like look this paragraph like once this one or two sentences got printed like that was it like that was your information about that topic and like you were stuck with that nothing else now with the internet you can really find out lots of different ideas different views on different things there's lots of different things out there and so really teaching young people how to navigate the world wide web and not just leaving it up to themselves to figure it out So we wanted to wrap up by talking about some safe sites for both youth and some resources for educators and parents as well. 
So these are some of our favorites. Of course, it's not an exhaustive list, but certainly some ones that we use. And if you do access the slides today, these are clickable links. So you can click on the icons and go directly to the site if you're interested in exploring them. First that we have for youth. So this one, the little robot, his name is NetSmarts and he is a great resource. It's actually in uh, an affiliate of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So this is a program that was developed out of what's known as NICMEC to kind of promote healthy internet use um, amongst students. So they have different categories. Um, they do have elementary categories. They also have categories for even younger kids because we know, um, again, if you have a toddler at home, I swear I have younger brothers and they knew how to do everything on the iPad before they were five years old. So they have ones for um, younger kids as well as teenagers. So all of it's divided out into age appropriate categories and there's different games they can explore, videos and activities to help them kind of learn about internet safety in a way that isn't terrifying <laughs> fear tactics for them. Um, and then Lisa and I are huge fans of Amaze.org. This is a huge vid video library of animated videos that discuss topics like internet safety, sexting, bullying, sexual health and wellness, gender identity, healthy relationships. So there's a ton of different topics. And we at Sojourner House, we actually use these videos in our youth workshops and they are very popular with our students. So another great resource for youth to explore. For the educators, um, we mentioned Common Sense Media. So this is, again, a huge resource. We use it all the time. I'm a Common Sense Media educator um, through their program. So learning about different applications that are coming out, they update their site every day. So they put up new TV shows, music videos, things that your students might be talking about. Um, so if you go on this website and you have no idea who Kanye West is, you can type his name in and all his stuff will come up and you can read about what's appropriate, what it means, and all of the different things about that particular entertainer or video or whatever it is. There's also a ton for educators and parents. So there's a lot of professional development, a lot of free webinars and things like that about uh, media usage, di digital citizenship, and some printouts you can also use. Um, there is, uh, if you want to be a common sense educator like Lisa and I, they do have a training that you can attend that I think is only a couple hours long. And then you get access to a bunch of PowerPoint slides you can use in your classroom as well. And then Culture Reframed is this other resource that specifically deals with pornography and exploitation. So Lisa mentioned pornography earlier, and this is some, this is the reality of the internet is a lot of students aren't actively seeking out pornography, but stumble upon it anyway. So you could misspell the URL you're typing in and all of a sudden you're on a pornography site. So it's really important to be mindful of that with youth who are online. Culture Reframed has a lot of different resources for both parents and educators, as well as youth to talk about pornography exploitation and cyber abuse. So thank you for watching. Lisa, any final words for our audience? Yeah, no, I think just uh, get in touch with us if you have additional questions. Um, we have our contact information is here. You know, we are happy to talk with you about, you know, if you have certain questions about things or if you have youth that you are working with that you want us to come in and work with, we are, we're happy to do so. We also have a school-based advocate at Sojourner House that can also help if you have a student that has experienced either domestic violence, sexual assault, cyber stalking, maybe they have pictures that have been shared and they, they just want somebody to talk about that process with. And so we do have some advocates depending on the needs of the students. And then also, yeah, just knowing that we're here as a resource and thank you for watching and joining us today and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. 
Thanks for watching. To enter a drawing for a $100 gift card, please fill out the survey located in the description down below. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. This audio lecture was brought to you by the Rhode Island Department of Health and Rhode Island Student Assistance Services. We'll see you next time.